As a person prepares to read through God's Word, you realize that there are some great and wonderful illustrations that are found there. The prophets were often given colorful ways to express the message of God. I love reading through the prophets. You begin with Isaiah and you go through Malachi and you read those prophets that are grouped together. And when you read some of them, there's some of the things that they did just sort of pop out at you. For instance, when you're reading about Ezekiel and you read about him laying on one side for a period of time and then having to lay on another side. Or you read about Jeremiah having to take a brand new garment and go and bury it into the uh, banks of the river and then go back and dig it up again and see how it's soiled. And you get to the book of Hosea and you read about a picture of a person baking bread. And when you think about that, the baking of bread, he's going to use actually three different illustrations in Hosea chapter 7. He's going to use the illustration of a baker, he's going to use the illustration of a barnyard, and then he's going to use the illustration of the battlefield. To me, this one just sort of jumps out at you, and as we think about it, I want you to sort of go back with me about 27, 2800 years to the time of the end of the northern kingdom and uh, to the cooking of bread then. Uh, it wasn't like today where you've got a, you know, an oven and you go put the bread in the oven and it rises. We have what we call light bread. But their bread most often was baked on a stone and it was much like what we would call our pancakes or pita bread today. And what they would do, they would get the stone hot or the oven under that stone hot and they would put it on there and then after a period of time they would flip it over and cook it on the other side. And the picture that we looked at just a moment ago uh, gave that kind of idea. Well, Hosea in this passage needed to communicate a message of concern for the people of God. They've allowed the influence of the world to invade their lives. And I would ask the question of each of us, have we allowed the world to invade who we are and what we are and how we live before God? So here's what I want to do tonight as we study this lesson together. I want us to look just a little bit at the historical background of what Hosea is talking about. Second of all, I want to talk about hearing the lesson God expected them to listen to what Hosea was saying. And then finally, heeding the message. Let's talk about the background for just a minute. Hosea was a prophet to the northern kingdom, a contemporary with Isaiah and Micah in the southern kingdom. There's a a vast difference between these two nations now. If you'll remember what happened... After Solomon died, Rehoboam became the king of the southern kingdom and Jeroboam became the king of the northern kingdom. God separated those ten tribes to the north because of what Solomon had done. And Rehoboam, because of his intransigence in dealing with the people, allowed himself to just cut himself off from them. And so you have the northern kingdom now and it's near the end of its a rain. He was calling the people of the nation in the last hours of their nation. It's almost like you can see the end coming, and he's trying to warn the people, if you don't change, here's where we're going to end up at. 
occasionally I look at our nation and I, I see the immorality that's in it. I see the, the uh, laziness that's in our nation. And you wonder where will this end when uh, another nation may conquer us because of our own failures. Well, why were they failing? What were they doing? Well, Hosea is going to level some very serious charges toward them. And so let's look at them for just a moment. If you want to go back to chapter 4 and look at verses 1 and 2. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel. For the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. And here's what the charge is. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying, killing, stealing, committing adultery, they break all restraint with bloodshed upon bloodshed. Now, I could just really stop at this point and begin to try to pull out, if you will, a number of the things. He says there's no knowledge of God in the land. Now, we've got to explore that a little bit further, particularly when we get to verse 6. But notice, there's no truth. Nobody's telling the truth. Does it appear that when you turn on the television and you listen to the news that there's no truth there anymore? Everybody has to give their own slant to things. Everybody has to make things sound better for themselves. What about when, for instance, you hear about people plagiarizing and you find out that people who submitted a doctoral dissertation bought it online? He says, by swearing and lying. Swearing. Oh, you you can't go anywhere without hearing swear words these days. Killing, stealing, and committing adultery. Our land is full of that. He said it's bloodshed upon bloodshed. That was the nation of Israel. You get to chapter 5, verse 11. Ephraim is oppressed and broken in judgment because he willingly walked by human precept. Now, if you're reading this, you may not fully gather all of what's going on, but you've got to remember that Jeroboam, the initial king of the northern kingdom, led the children of Israel away from God's plan. You know, they were no longer worshiping in Jerusalem. Now they're worshiping in Bethel and at the north in Dan. They're no longer appointing priests from the tribe of Levi. They're appointing priests from every tribe. Oh, there's so many changes that's taken place. They're glad. They're, they're willingly willing to go along with a man's command. Chapter 6, verse 4. O Ephraim, what shall I do to you? O Judah, what shall I do to you? Your faithfulness is like a morning cloud and like the early dew that goes away. You know, in the early mornings, they'll talk about fog. And along about 9 o'clock, as the sun begins to come out, that fog just dissipates, it disappears. Or in the summertime, you get up early in the morning and you walk out and the grass is wet, there's dew on the grass. And then just an hour or two later, that dew has evaporated and become the humidity in the air. He says, that's the way your goodness is. It's just here for a little while and then it's gone. 
but the most serious charge related to the infection of worldliness. He said, what do you mean by that? How has worldliness gotten into them? Let's go and look at that passage in chapter 7. I really ought to begin back up verse 4, but you know when he begins to talk about the oven and uh, the baker there needing that bread, and he talks about it, you know, he he's not stoking the fire, but what you have, he's, he's sort of using two different illustrations there. He talks about their drunkenness, and uh, it's almost like you got a drunk trying to bake bread. I don't know if you've ever imagined having a, a baker baking your bread, but you can imagine what would happen. He said, Ephraim has mixed himself among the peoples. Ephraim is a cake unturned. Aliens have devoured his strength, but he does not know it. Yes, gray hairs are here and there on him, yet he does not know it. And the pride of Israel testifies to his face, but they do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him at all. Ephraim is like a silly dove, without sense. They call to Egypt. They go to Assyria. Now, for just a moment, explore with me what's here. He's mixed himself among the peoples. That's the people of the land. That's the people of the world. There's no distinction. They're all together just like. But then he says a cake unturned. I want you to imagine tomorrow morning your mother gets up and she says, I'm going to fix pancakes for everybody. She mixes up the batter. She pours it in the skillet. And then she walks off and forgets that she has put pancakes on 10 or 15 minutes later walks back in and one side of that pancake is burnt to a crisp the other side of the pancake is raw and what God's message is to Israel is you are burnt on the side of worldliness and with the side of spiritualness you're just as raw as you can be so then he changes a little bit and he says Aliens have devoured his strength. You know, those who've come in that he's mixed himself with have come in and done something to him. He didn't know what happened. He said, gray hairs are here and there, yet he does not know it. Most of us who have gotten gray hair are reminded of it every time we walk in front of the mirror. You may not feel like a gray-headed person, but I can assure you, you walk in front of a mirror and it's going to remind you of who you are and what you are. Israel doesn't realize they've grown old. They're very near the end of their nation. Death is knocking on the door and they don't recognize it. The pride of Israel testifies to his face They do not return to the Lord their God, seek Him. And then he says they're like a silly dove. Now, um, you need to think of a dove as being like a pigeon, a carrier pigeon. And you're going to send a dove with a message. But the dove is so dumb, so silly, without sense. There's a message sent, but it goes to the wrong place. They call to Egypt. They go to Assyria. Who are you going to? And looking for help. They mix themselves among the peoples. What happens when you do that? 
Well, a good illustration can be found in the book of Nehemiah. You see, Nehemiah, after the captivity and the people came back and they settled, in fact, the same land to which Hosea is prophesying. And the people are now mixed in with the people of the other nations. There's no identity, there's no uniqueness to them, no distinction. It said in Nehemiah 13, verse 23, I saw in those days the Jews had married the women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, and half the children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke according to the language of one of the other people. So I contended with them and cursed them and struck them. Some of them pulled out their hair and made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give their daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons or yourselves. Folks, you need to realize, he's saying, that what you're doing is you're mixing yourselves so that the seed of God, the holy seed, the Jewish people, Old Testament, they're not what they ought to be. If you want to use the baker's metaphor, this leaven had influenced them to leave God. So as you read Hebrews chapter 7, the historical background is... Israel is leaving God. And why are they leaving God? Because they've allowed the world to influence them so much. But Hosea has a message. And the message is God wants you to hear. He wants you to listen. Someone says, well, I'm hearing you. I hear the noise. In fact, if somebody were to ask you tonight, as you, you go out the door, what did Tony preach on? I don't know, what was it? One of them prophets of the Old Testament, something about a cake, may have been a birthday cake. You see, you can hear the words, but sometimes they don't stick. They don't sink down inside. Listen to Hosea 4 verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel. For the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. I want you to understand, God is saying, I've got a charge against you. If the police arrive at my door and says, Mr. Lawrence, we need you to come with us. What did I do? we got a charge against you. You better believe they're going to have my attention. Are you sure you have the right Tony? Yes, we are. What did I do? Tell me what I did. God says you're overdone on the side relating to the world and raw to the side of God. And so I ask the question, are we hearing the lesson? Have we allowed the world to impact our service to God for just a minute? Have we allowed ourselves to be more impressed with the words of man than the word that comes from God? That was a part of our lesson this morning about being empty-headed. But the truth is, is that when you ask the world today about their worship to God, just like in Hosea's day, they were content to follow a human precept. Or if you're reading the American Standard, a man's command. Someone else's teaching. Hosea 4 verse 6 says, 
My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will reject you from being priests before me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. Why do we get to the point where we're willing to accept what some man or some group of men says? Because we don't know what God said. We've not listened to the message well enough to recognize that when someone is telling us something that is wrong, it is wrong. And we're willing to let someone else do our studying for us. We're willing to let someone else tell us what to believe. And when we do that, we're in the same boat as them. Notice chapter 5, verse 11 and verse 13. He's impressed because he's willing to walk by human precept. In verse 13, when Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah saw his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to King Jerob, yet he cannot cure you nor heal you of your wound. When you've got needs, to whom do you go? Oh, there's so many people. Um, You can turn on the television. You can listen to Oprah or Oprah's Dr. Phil. Or you can listen to this guru or that guru and, and find the answers to all the problems of the world, but they're not God's answers. Are we willing to let the world make our decisions for us? Are our studies overdone on pop psychology, self-help, humor, personal interest? What would you prefer to hear? Would you prefer to hear a preacher who walks in the pulpit and says, let's open our Bibles to this passage of Scripture, or would you prefer to hear a man come up and say, i got two or three really good stories I want to tell you. The stories, for some reason, seem to attract our interest. But it is the Word of God that must guide our lives. Have we allowed ourselves to modify our worship to please ourselves versus God? You get to chapter 13. Now they sin more and more. And have made themselves molded images, idols of their silver, according to their skill. All of them the work of craftsmen. They say of them, let the men who sacrifice kiss the calves. Okay, we're going we're gonna to line up now. We're all going to worship this idol, this calf, and we're all going to kiss it. These molded images. And you say, well, we wouldn't do that. We wouldn't fall down before a man-made idol. Truth is, sometimes our man-made idol comes in the form of an oblong ball. Because we'll spend more for a pair of tickets to go to a ball game than we'll give to the Lord in a whole year. Or we'll forsake the assembly of the church 
to watch those guys bang their heads against one another and listen to commercials from beer companies. Oh, you're meddling now. But the truth is, we've allowed ourselves to choose what we want to worship. Choose where we want to put our devotion. Listen to chapter 7, verse 2. They do not consider in their hearts that I remember their wickedness. Now their own deeds have surrounded them there before my face. Do you really believe that God does not see what's going on? You believe because there's no one standing there looking at you in your presence that God doesn't see that? Is our worship determined by a sincere desire to please God or an appeal to the senses of man? For the children of Israel, it was all about what pleased them. Now, very quickly, heeding the message. Is it possible that we've allowed ourselves to be influenced to the world to the point that we no longer even see it? We don't realize the world has infected us. Would you listen to Hosea chapter 7, verses 9 and 10? Aliens have devoured his strength, but he does not know it. Yes, gray hairs are here and there, yet he does not know it. The pride of Israel testifies to his faith, but they do not return to the Lord nor seek their God nor seek him for all of this. It's become so much that no one even sees it as being a part of them now. You know what's sad is when we don't recognize our own failures and our own mistakes and our own limitations. We're here and some of us don't recognize the fact that we've allowed the world to infect us. In Isaiah 42, verse 22, But this people is a people robbed and plundered. All of them are snared in holes and they're hidden in prison houses there for the prey and no one delivers them for plunder and no one says restore. Who among you will give ear to this? Who will listen and hear for a time to come? Who gave Jacob for plunder and Israel for robbers? Was it not the Lord? He against whom we have sinned, for they would not walk in his ways, nor were they obedient to his laws. Therefore he has poured on them the fury of his anger and the strength of battle. It has set him on fire all around, yet he did not know it. And it burned him, yet he did not take it to heart. A picture is given there that a man is already in jail. He doesn't know he's in jail. He's in prison. He's been robbed, but he doesn't know he's been robbed. When you start heeding the message, you've got to realize sometimes, hey, it's time for us to open our eyes. Israel was called to return to God. Chapter 14, verse 1. O Israel, return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. What do I do, Lord? Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity. Receive us graciously. 
for we will offer the sacrifice of our lips. Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses, nor will we say any more to the work of our hands, you are our gods, for in you the fatherless finds mercy. God said, what you need to do is come back to me with words. You know what kind of words you need to say? I have sinned. I've let these problems come into my life and now it's time for me to fix them. Verse 9, who is wise and let him understand these things. Who is prudent, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but transgressors will stumble in them. Once we realize that the world has infected us, now God says, okay, it's time for you to come out. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 17. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Revelation 18, verse 4. He said, come out from her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. So easy to let the world shape us, mold us, fashion us. What God wants from us is purity. And he wants it from us. You know, I think about Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Tonight... This is a message from an Old Testament prophet saying to the people, Are you a cake not turned? Have you allowed yourself to become so attached to the world that you don't even see that you burnt the bread? If you need to be obedient to the gospel of Christ, we want to encourage you to come forward. We'll baptize you for the remission of your sins. If you are a Christian and you need prayers, we'll pray with you. We want to encourage you to do so as we sing the song, number 517, Oh, Why Not Tonight?